Hi, welcome to another episode of Knowing God with Heart and Mind. I'm Pastor Dan with a deep and sultry voice today thanks to allergies and a lingering illness. Our uh, fundamental goal here at Knowing God with Heart and Mind is to know God with heart and mind. Imagine that. That's uh, a little like something my daughter said to me yesterday. Awesome people are awesome, she said. And the more I thought about it, the more I realize she's right. What's really awesome about awesome people? They're awesome. Anyway, it stands to reason then that a podcast called Knowing God with Heart and Mind might actually be about knowing God with heart and mind. Okay, move on. So, each week we endeavor to engage in scripture and tradition and uh, the, the knowledge that, that comes from the past of our rich history of the church elders and, and uh, church fathers and mothers, you know, all of those people that have contributed so much to our understanding of scripture and doctrine that we take for granted. We also have uh, our own common sense and uh, the spirit leads as the spirit will and you know, you pull all those things together and the scriptures come alive in a way that they wouldn't if you just tried to make sense of it, just reading it right out. And yet, by the grace of God, those who have no other recourse but to just read it are often converted and changed by the word they read and the power of the spirit that is within it. It never ceases to amaze me. I hear stories all the time, and so therefore I'm a big believer in giving Bibles to anybody who wants one. I encourage and support the ministry of the Gideons for that very reason. And I believe that if you don't have any resources apart from a Bible right in front of you, open it and read it, and it will change you. But when you're ready to really go deeper, to really know God with heart and mind, you need to align yourself with others, join in a conversation over the scriptures, engage what you read, and, of course, seek the counsel of your elders and the faith, you know, and those are not always people who are older than you, but uh, look for other sources of knowledge and understanding, and, uh, you know, that only happens if you're in a relationship with other believers. And you can only really be in a relationship with other believers if you're willing to join into the place where they are most often found, which is a church. And so I begin, as always, encouraging you to be a part of a church, to, be, uh, to not be a lone wolf, to be a part of a family of faith. It's so enriching and it's so much more uh, beneficial than you think. We'll talk more about that before we finish today. For now, let's take uh, care of a couple of announcements, and uh, we'll see if there's a Parsons Prairie tale or a old Cartwright circuit tale. Well, yesterday... We closed on our new home in our new community of Jasper, where we'll serve the Shiloh United Methodist Church. And uh, that's when it really started to sink in that we are leaving Parsons Prairie in a couple of weeks. And we will say farewell to some people we've come to love dearly, to a land that we've enjoyed, to a community that's become another part of our, our life story, and uh, we begin anew in what is for us, in many ways, a homecoming. And that became clear to me as I was trying to figure out just what to call this, this new place. Um, you may have picked up on the fact that I kind of enjoy nicknaming things. I, I give names to everything. I give the car a name. I give the animals around my home names. I even have names for the inanimate objects like Ziggy, the plastic owl. His head's on a swivel and he's supposed to scare away the robins so they don't poop on my porch. 
and uh, anyway this is sort of an obsession of mine and and so Parsons Prairie came quickly to me when we moved here but it's taken me a while to figure out how to refer to where we're going now but having read the history of Shiloh Church especially its its old history um, because Shiloh United Methodist is a new church start um, you know in, in one sense or it could even be thought of as a reboot but uh, the original Shiloh Church in Jasper was one of those served by Peter Cartwright the famous uh, 19th century circuit riding uh, pastor preacher and his story is quite remarkable um, Peter Cartwright was uh, a Kentuckian originally and he had a lot of nicknames he was called Uncle Peter the Kentucky boy the backwoods preacher the Lord's plowman um, the Lord's breaking plow uh, he was one of those preachers of the second great awakening in American history and uh, Cartwright eventually moved from Kentucky to Illinois um, this is thought to be because he was opposed to slavery and uh, Cartwright not only ran uh, as a United Methodist well in those days just Methodist uh, preacher on circuits in Kentucky and Illinois but he also had circuits that covered Indiana and Tennessee so this this was a guy that was uh, right after Wesley's heart as a a uh, traveling preacher who covered circuits and visited churches over thousands of miles and uh, uh, Cartwright was also involved in in the government and he ran in Illinois uh, for the state legislature he held a seat in the lower house and uh, eventually in 1846 he was defeated by Abraham Lincoln for a seat in the United States Congress so uh, Peter Cartwright's pretty remarkable guy pretty famous in in uh, in that uh, era of history um, but he was a preacher who visited churches that had been established and planted some by him in communities all over the Midwest and especially um, in the vicinity of the Ohio River um, turns out that the old Shiloh was one of Peter Cartwright's churches so I thought well you know my first church appointment 20 years ago was at a Peter Cartwright church I started in Lanesville Indiana at the Lanesville Methodist Church that was a uh, one of those on the route of Peter Cartwright and now 20 years later I've returned to the Peter Cartwright circuit and so I hit upon the nickname for the area where I'll be serving as the old Cartwright circuit we'll see if it sticks but it's an interesting thing in in that respect so so the announcement is as well you know in another two weeks we'll be moving um, if you are a regular listener you may miss me for a couple of weeks I'm I'm not sure yet how well I'll be able to do at uh, producing this this recording um, over the next few weeks I, I, I'll do my best but uh, I, pl I I hope you'll stay tuned because once I get uh, the, the resources in place to continue it I will and uh, so just stay tuned and and uh, you know if nothing else I might post an announcement or something just to let you know that we're still alive out there if you have uh, iTunes you can find this on iTunes you can go you can uh, search in iTunes by my name Dan Sinkhorn you can search for knowing God with heart and mind um, you can uh, if you do that you can use whatever podcasting uh, program you have to download them automatically which means that the next time you get a recording from me it should automatically go to your phone or whatever device you listen with if you listen online on your computer uh, just keep an eye out and uh, I'll try to keep you informed but I will keep pushing these out until I get to a point where it's just not possible and then I'll resume as soon as it becomes possible again. 
And for now, uh, that's all there is in the way of announcements. Here at Parsons Prairie, the sun has been shining for several days now. The winds have been blowing, as usual. The, uh, the weather has been cool-ish for June, but not uncomfortable. And uh, that's created some pretty pleasant skies. Uh, lots of blue in the sky, not so much haze, and uh, the air has been kind of clean. Uh, farmers around here are struggling because the excessive rains that we've had uh, have really made it difficult for them to get into their fields, and where they had gotten into their fields, the flooding has killed uh, large portions of the crop. So pray for the farmers in the Midwest who have been afflicted by this rain uh, you know, they need rain. They ask me to pray for rain from time to time, but they don't need as much as they've been getting. And uh, so these dry days have been a blessing, uh, but it may be a little too late for some of the farmers' crops. So we just uh, we want to pray for them. This is how they make their living, and it affects the rest of us eventually because the the uh, bounty of their crop becomes uh, part of our economy and part of our uh, benefit at the grocery store. So pray for them, pray for our country, pray for all of those uh, uh, who, who lead us and, uh, you know, understand that we're better united than we are divided. And it's really sad when we see people who disagree turning their backs and walking away from each other, refusing to acknowledge each other, when we could just agree to disagree. And we could simply allow whatever majority decision uh, happens uh, to test, to be tested out. And, and you know, if, if you were right about your candidate and you uh, think that someone is wrong about their candidate or whatever, um, at some point you just got to stand back and pray for the success of the one who is in the office and you pray that they will uh, receive the support of the American people and the American government um, so that those who elected them can see whether their beliefs are justified. Um, some people think there's too much at stake for that, but um, we have a pretty good process in place in this country. And uh, it's become part of the American psyche. Um, where, where we struggle is no doubt in those places in our thinking where we're uh, confused about what it means to be part of a republic. You know, we democratically elect people to govern us. And once they're elected to govern us, we submit to their governance. I mean, that, that's what a republic is. If we don't like the way they govern, then at the next election, we replace them. And, uh, you know, there's a little bit of guesswork involved with that. And uh, we people of faith have a responsibility to believe and trust that God is above and uh, in control and that God is, is uh, no stranger to these things, that God is very familiar with this sort of situation. And the best thing people of faith can do is keep the faith. Can I get an amen? No, wait a minute. I didn't hear all of you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray for this podcast. Well, God, I thank you for this opportunity to reach people in this particular way. I ask that you bless it by enhancing your word and not mine. That you reach into the people's souls with the surgical skill of your Holy Spirit. And again, not for my benefit, but for yours. Our desire is to know you with heart and mind, and then to incorporate that knowledge into all of our being, because we love you. Amen. This coming Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. Today's readings come from the Revised Common Lectionary schedule for Pentecost Sunday, June 4th, 2017. And our first reading is the story of the coming of the Holy Spirit at the Feast of Pentecost. It comes from the Acts of the Apostles, 
chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And uh, I'll be reading from the New International Version of the Bible. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all of these men who speak Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. <clears throat> wow, that is powerful stuff. Well, I don't know about you, but I can't help but chuckle when I read that part where Peter says it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. I always smile when I read that because it's, it's one of the ways in which the Bible is so authentic. Um, you know, people have a lot of crazy ideas about the Bible because of what they've heard, not so much because they've read it. And a lot of people would be of those kinds of people anyway, would be pretty amazed if they actually read the Bible because the characters are so ordinary and flawed individuals and because their their lives and their whole outlook is so ordinary. Um, you know, in a culture where drinking wine is uh, often more frequent than, than water, I mean, there's... Lots of people using water every day in that culture. But, um, you know, the beverage of choice was wine now. It is apparently uh, not the, the wide variety of, of uh, vineyards and varieties of wine that we have in our culture today. And uh, so we're not talking about, uh, you know, people having wine cellars in their basement full of all different types of aged and carefully crafted vintages, you know, what we're talking about is a, a fermented grape juice that people drank in many ways like we drink soft drinks. Um, you know, most people just wouldn't go to a meal, uh, especially eating out, where they didn't have soft drinks. And in the same way, people didn't drink anything but this uh, sort of 
ordinary day-to-day wine that uh, was so common in those days and such a, in a rich part of their culture. And <coughs> one of the things everybody knows, apparently, is that if you drink wine every day with all of your meals, that it could have a cumulative effect, I suppose, because it is fermented and because it does have a certain alcoholic quality to it, even if it's a very low percentage. The fact is, is that, uh, you know, Peter wants them to understand that it's way too early in the morning to have accumulated enough alcohol to start acting like a drunk. And apparently drunkenness was not uncommon in those days, so uh, though it was frowned upon and considered uh, uh, uncouth, you know, the fact is, as Peter acknowledges, that, uh, you know, people acting the way they seem to be acting might appear to be drunk. So let's just keep in mind, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. It's way too early for the drunks to come out and start acting like ridiculous fools. <laughs> I mean, you got to be amused by that. And uh, the insight is kind of a neat thing, too. So that's one of the first things that jumps off the page at me. It's kind of amazing, too, of course, that they are experiencing this rush of wind that comes in. And I, I noticed as I was just reading this today that that uh, I think in my mind's eye there have been plenty of times when I thought that the um, the Pentecost event happened in the open air somewhere, but what I read in this particular translation is that it seems to have come to them while they were in the upper room. Now, I'm not saying that I didn't realize that, but I think that the transition from the upper room to this uh, kind of open air uh, expression where you know somehow as soon as these guys caught that rush of wind and were filled with the spirit they went out of the upper room and into the community and uh, began talking about things in everyone's native language and and uh, so you know I have this picture that's a little different now just having read this uh, you know for I don't know how many times I've read this but Reading it once again, I see this in a way that I hadn't seen it before. Um, you can go to a place in Jerusalem that is called the Upper Room, and it is thought to be the traditional location where they met and uh, received the Holy Spirit. It's a large, empty room, really, and uh, probably unfurnished in part because they don't have a lot of... Uh, uh, room for anything else when a tourist bus group piles in there, but uh, it's an interesting room because, uh, like many of the sacred sites of Christians, the the uh, the Crusades had left a bitter taste for the Muslim people that had been there uh, in in those times, and so many of the Christian sites were deliberately converted to Islamic sites and so when you go in the upper room you'll see indications that it had been used in some past life as a uh, mosque or some sort of uh, uh, Islamic religious purpose and uh, but it's just a big empty room and uh, has a wonderful echo (laughs) and uh, birds come and go pretty frequently and that means cats aren't uncommon either as they wander through and and uh, you know who knows whether it's the real site but it is an interesting thing to be in a place that fits all the criteria because what that shows me in my own mind's eye is that this was a room that was inside the old city of Jerusalem and it was a room that uh, opened out in a couple of different directions to the city and uh, to the marketplace, to the streets of the old city. Uh, In many places in the old city, you walk in narrow uh, roads that are surrounded with shops and uh, shopkeepers and and, uh, storefronts, that kind of thing. You run into uh, a lot of traffic, of human traffic flowing back and forth in these narrow spaces. You often see the buildings rise three or four stories over your head in these places and sometimes the canopies and the the uh, various 
architecture uh, almost make it feel like you're walking in a cave in uh, so many ways uh, or, or a shopping mall or something you know and then there are open places courtyards and things and there are even trees and uh, there are high places and low places and you know so it's it's kind of interesting to imagine these men being filled with the holy spirit uh experiencing this remarkable uh uh ice bucket dump of the holy spirit I, I described it that way in church last week it's as though it's though as though they were in this room waiting for the spirit to come and god just dumped it on them uh just poured it out like a big bucket and it whooshed down over them and uh even left them appearing somewhat different for a moment and uh, this rush and this infilling of the Holy Spirit just sent them into the streets proclaiming God's glory and, uh, and filling, uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, you know, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It, uh, it's interesting that if the Holy Spirit is, well, I'm speaking rhetorically here, but if the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, that is, God in, in the Spirit, then... Uh, then when this Holy Spirit comes on and in these people, what is the first thing they do? They proclaim God's glory. Um, it gives you reason to think about why people uh, uh, who, who experience a profound uh, effect of the Holy Spirit will often speak in ways that seem, uh, well, I wouldn't say senseless, but th there is no... The, there is no language apart from just words of praise and and uh, songs of glory to God, and and it, it gives you the impression that uh, that in heaven there's an awful lot of that going on, and uh, it seems like it's the language of heaven, in a manner of speaking, the the songs and glory of God, uh, kind of nice, kind of nice. And then, of course, once this power comes on them, they have the ability to reach people wherever they are, to share the good news in whatever way they can. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I like painting that with a broad brush because for them, it was literally the gift of tongues, that is to speak in the languages that were not known to you <clears throat> and being understood by others. And uh, the messages to God's glory and that's pretty amazing and uh and the the indication that it gives me is, is that god means to use the holy spirit as a uh source of empowerment and uh, increased ability to proclaim god's glory so therefore you ask the holy spirit to help you when you reach out to others help you in your workplace to help you in your school or your your uh, nursing home where you live or uh, in your family's uh, home and, and uh, wherever God puts you God will equip you to be a voice of God's glory and uh, we can thank God for sending the Holy Spirit not only to those people then but to us now and that is I think the most profound and wonderful thing about Pentecost is when the church was really born at that Pentecost outpouring on the uh, first day of the week, there was a new thing that happened and a new thing that is only possible with the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. Our second reading is taken from the Psalms. We're going to read from Psalm 104, verses 24 to 34 and 35b. The reading begins, How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time, and when you give it to them, they gather it up. 
When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. And when you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Well, that is a remarkable passage. And you know what I always try to do at this point is try to figure out why the Revised Common Lectionary includes this particular passage on Pentecost Sunday, let's say. Well, it does refer to the sending of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting because it mostly talks about creation. It mostly talks about the the uh, if you read the whole uh, psalm, it talks about the 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 animals, light and darkness. It talks about sun and the stars, and uh, it, it's it's a very creation oriented psalm. And uh, the uh, the old Leviathans even mentioned there, which is an interesting character because. Uh, it never really speaks clearly to us in Scripture about what the Leviathan is, but uh, it's some kind of large sea creature that definitely uh, seems, uh, you know, unusual in the eyes of those who witnessed it. Might be a whale, might be a sea monster. There's just really no way to know for sure what it refers to. But in any case, this whole thing talks about creation. And then it basically says that creation is uh, subject to God's will, God's whim. You know, it, it says that if, if God says it's time for you to stop breathing, then you stop breathing. And, uh, and yet what he says in the psalm here is that the spirit comes and breathes new life into things. Now, this is a concept that is far more frequent in the scripture than we realize because there are many places in Scripture where the Spirit of God is the thing that brings order to the chaos, that brings life where there was lifelessness. And uh, when we talk about people receiving the Holy Spirit, it's meant for us to understand that this is new life that we're receiving, that uh, it, it is, in effect, the death of something old and subject to to the you know nature of things that is to say that humanity and and virtually everything that god created is in a constant state of decay um and uh that's uh this anthropic principle right you know there's this constant decay that things all wind down and run out of gas they just uh, our bodies eventually die uh, creatures in, in uh, all of creation eventually die. And, uh, and once death comes, once there's no life blood flowing within, decay comes. And it leads to death of the physical flesh. There's they're simply nothing present there uh, but dust, you know. And so the idea then in this psalm is that when the spirit comes it breathes new life into those decaying and dying things and uh, so what we should understand is is that we want to be eternal we want to have a a uh, existence of our soul that transcends time and space as we understand it that transcends this uh, temporary existence of these human bodies and the secret to new life, new birth, is the spirit. And I believe that's what the psalmist is really asking us to take in and to understand. And then, of course, it makes sense that we get this reading right around the time 
that we're also hearing of the story of the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the Church Universal on that Pentecost day. Our third reading comes from the first letter to the Corinthians, and uh, it's supposed to be uh, chapter 12, starting at verse 3b, but I'd like to start at verse 1. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 through 13. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to others gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one, just as he determines. The body is a unit, through though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts, many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. Well, so once again, it's not that hard in this case to figure out what the Revised Common Lectionary means for us to gather. Now that we've understood that the Holy Spirit breathes new life into dying things, that the Spirit came to create the Church, the capital C Church, which means the Church Universal, the the body of Christ in all of its places and forms. And uh, Paul then, in this letter to the Corinthians, tells us what the body of Christ looks like. And uh, so we, we use the word body to describe the church in this way, no doubt, because of Paul's uh, explanation that that the body is is, uh, is is has many components, you know. The, the body has eyes and ears and arms and legs and fingers and toes. And, and in this way, the body has different functions. And uh, therefore, as Paul will say in another place, if you're a leg, don't complain because you're not an ear. And uh, in the same way, some are called by that one spirit to serve in different roles within the body of Christ. Therefore, some of us are pastors, and some of us are Sunday school teachers, and some are administrators, and, and some uh, sit quietly in the pews and, and don't appear to do much, but then you find out that through the week they're writing cards and encouraging, they're calling people, uh, they're working down at the food pantry or at the clothes closet or something like that. They're, they're, uh, they're doing their job as a school teacher or as a... Uh, mechanic or whatever, but they're doing it with a, a, a means of, of integrity for God that, that causes them to serve God by, by uh, trying to glorify God in the way that they execute their task and to witness to God's love. So, you know, we all have different roles, and uh, it's one of the things that makes the church such a beautiful thing. Um, and yet, as, as Paul says in another place, there are still those times when some people feel like they were uh, somehow, uh, you know, not given the part that they felt they were most suited to. And, uh, well, you know, we all probably feel that way at different times. 
or at least we want to have more influence over those who have jobs that uh, God has given them that are somehow important to us in certain ways. I don't know. I'm not sure it was worth going in that direction. But what I hear then as I read this passage is Paul explaining what that new life is for. That, uh, that when the Spirit breathes new life into you, that it isn't so that you can just keep doing nothing. You know? That uh, the Spirit has called you to a particular thing. As soon as that Spirit comes into you, as soon as you really are born again in the Spirit, then there is a call that, that uh, the Spirit puts on your life. And, and to ignore that call is to kind of disrespect God and ignore God's uh, call in your life. He says, I've given you this for a reason. First, I gave it to you because I love you and I want you to be a part of my family for all eternity. And uh, then I expect you to, as a part of the family, be doing the family business, you know? Um, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the owner of a, of, a, of a store or some sort of business, uh, a repair shop or something, who adopts a child and, and then uh, hires that child to come into the business and learn the business and takes over the business someday. I mean, that, that's the same kind of idea. God doesn't just save you so that you can feel saved. God saves you so that you can join God in whatever God is doing. And the Spirit is the way to know what God is doing and what your part is in what God is doing. Now it's starting to come together, isn't it? I can hear the wheels turning in your minds right now. Our final reading today comes from the Gospel of John. John chapter 7, we're going to read uh, verses 37 to uh, 39. And uh, here we go. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Well, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. And here is a very short and simple passage that gives us a very clear indication that Jesus expected this to happen. And um, a particular feast that it refers to is a feast built upon uh, a scriptural reference that was sacred to the Jews that uh, described how the, the waters uh, would flow from Jerusalem. This river of life would flow, flow from Jerusalem. And, and uh, for them, it was a more literal and matter-of-fact thing. But uh, that was because in many ways where they lived, the water was scarce in some parts of, of Jerusalem especially and had to be brought in by way of tunnels that had been dug and you know, wherever the water could be found outside the gates, they had to find secret ways to bring it inside the gates because if an enemy knew where your water source was, it was easy to cut that off and then starve you into submission or uh, thirst you into submission. And uh, so so the idea was a literal thing that, that water would spring up from Jerusalem, you know, and, and probably in their minds even from the very, beneath the very temple because after all, under the temple was the Gahon Springs, you know. And so there's this whole idea uh, that this is, is, is like going to breathe a new life into the land, that, that there would be so much water issued that it would literally change the landscape. And, and you know, if you go to Israel and, and uh, you listen to the story of the last 60 or so years of that nation, you realize that these people have turned swamps into uh, beautiful farms and plantations. They have turned desert into uh, farms and plantations. They've, they've managed to 
generate so much uh, agricultural wealth within that country. They've planted millions and millions of trees, and and in many ways they got their river of life. And it was them, it was the people, it was them fulfilling this this vision that that they had even back in the days of Jesus. And yet, in Jesus's day, the passage we're reading is an indication of something else. He, he says, I know that what you are celebrating here is an abundance of water so that there will no longer be thirst and that the plants would not be thirsty, that our children would not be thirsty, that our animals would not be thirsty. He, he says, I know that's what you're looking forward to as you celebrate this, but I've got news for you. If you're thirsty, you can come to me. And of course, he's speaking figuratively, but he's also saying... I'm the source of life. I'm the source that you come to me that will be fulfilled. Now is the time to receive that. And then he goes on to say that, in fact, because of him, that life will flow not only from him, but through those who believe in him. In other words, when you put your faith in Jesus... You receive the Holy Spirit and the very Spirit that enables Jesus to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, to raise the dead, the very Spirit that enables Jesus to be God's uh, Son on earth. That whole process of this Trinitarian, remarkable uh, community of being that is God is then imparted to us in a way. Not that we would be equal with God, but that we would have the very essence of God's being mingled with our own being and even giving us that new life that changes our dying and decaying bodies into the vessels for an eternal and ever-blossoming spirit. And then expect that to change us and to make us change agents in the world around us. So why is Pentecost so important? Why is it that we don't dress up and bring all of our family like we do on Easter Sunday and Christmas? I don't know. But I think that Pentecost is, in many ways, the Sunday that distinguishes the difference between those who like church as a social activity that makes them uh, able to uh, use it as a part of their family celebrations of the holidays and all of that and those who truly get that the real big day in the history of the church was the day the Spirit of God dumped out like an emptying bucket onto a world that was thirsty you know no longer is he giving out the Holy Spirit with an eyedropper for specific occasions and for spe specific purposes, now God has just emptied his bucket on the world and it, it poured into that upper room and then it gushed out over everyone else and it's still gushing out to this day. Will you please receive the Holy Spirit? All you have to do is ask. You can say, Lord, I believed a long time ago that you saved me, but I don't think I ever really invited your Holy Spirit to bring new life to me. And I wish you would do that now. And then be prepared for a wild ride. And don't look for your uh, human will to submit too easily. It's going to take time. And yet, in some cases, it's like that Pentecost day. When you ask, you receive it. And it changes your very nature in a second. I pray this will happen for you. And I pray that you will join with other believers where that is the goal. To be the people of God, transformed by the Holy Spirit for God's purposes. Well, I want to thank you again for the honor of being your leader in this virtual Bible study. I don't take that lightly. Um, if you've tuned into this and you've even uh, bookmarked it or saved it so that you get to hear it every time it's put out, I, I'm honored. 
and uh, I give all the glory to God. If he's given me one of those spiritual gifts the apostle talked about, then I feel that I've honored God by using it in this venue as well as those others that he has put before me. I hope this has blessed you. I hope that this is in some way an enhancement to your many-faceted spiritual life. Did you hear me? I don't want you to just do this. Don't let this be the only thing you do. Be a part of a family of faith. Be a part of a Bible study. Be part of a community of believers who are seeking God's will and doing so with the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Now, your first place of service is in your home. So wherever you live and with ever with whomever you live, then let that spirit make you a witness to them and a partner with them in the business of knowing God with heart and mind. I do hope that you'll pay us a visit at Corinth United Methodist Church. You've got just a couple more weeks to come and see me if you're in the Muncie area. And uh, if not, then I'll look for you in uh, Jasper, Indiana at Shiloh United Methodist Church. And I promise you that if you come to Corinth after I leave, you will still be blessed by a wonderful family of faith and an exciting new pastor who will do a great job for the family of faith and uh, will continue to serve for God's namesake. And, uh, you know, wherever you are, seek the Spirit's lead. And I promise you won't be disappointed. But go now as the Spirit leads you to love and serve the Lord. God bless you, and bye.